Well, you're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com, and I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, we all saw during the Chauvin Floyd incident and others where people were criticizing law enforcement for the behavior of the additional officers on scene standing by and not intervening when it was thought that the initiating officer may have been using excessive force or other wrongdoings. Well, today I am speaking with an outstanding scholar and expert on the Active Bystander for Law Enforcement Project, or ABLE. Dr. Irvin Staub created the original version on which the current ABLE training is based for police officers to intervene as active bystanders who prevent to stop unnecessary harmful behavior by their fellow officers. He created the training after the Rodney King incident in Los Angeles in 1991, a revised version which he, others, and members of the New Orleans Police Department together created was used in New Orleans, and the current version is now used to train over 138 police departments. He is originally from Hungary, received a PhD at Stanford, and taught at Harvard before moving on to the University of Massachusetts Amherst. He is past president of the International Society for Political Psychology and of the Society for the Study of Peace, Conflict, and Violence. His best known book is The Roots of Evil, the Origins of Genocide and Other Group Violence. His last two books are the award-winning Overcoming Evil, Genocide, Violent Conflict and Terrorism, and The Roots of Goodness and Resistance to Evil, Inclusive Caring, Moral Courage, Altruism Born of Suffering, Active Bystandership and Heroism. Dr. Staub has also published many research articles and book chapters. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Dr. Irvin Staub. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Well, it's it's an honor to have you on the show. You've conducted extensive training for police. What was the basis of the training that you created after the Rodney King incident? Well, by that time, I have done a lot of research on what leads people to be active bystanders when somebody else is in need or remain passive when they see somebody else in need. Um, some of this research is actually used in all our trainings. Um, in this version, the ABLE version of the training, we have included more research. But you know, one of the studies that I have done uh, to show the power of active bystanders is to have two people sit in a room. One of them is the actual participant in a study and the other one who does the same things as the actual participant is my associate. And there is a crash and sounds of distress from another room. And my associate says one of three different things. One, that sounds bad, maybe we should do something, but remain seated. Or, I don't think this has anything to do with us. Maybe this is another experiment. Or that sounds bad. Maybe we should do something. I get the person in charge. You go into the other room and see what happened. So, and the person says, just that sounds bad. Maybe we should do something. 66% of the other time, of the other people go in and help. Mm. 
when the person says, I don't think it has anything to do with us, 25% help. And when the person says, I go and find a person in charge, you go into the other room, every single person goes into the other room, 100%. Hmm. So the power of bystanders is substantial. I have done a lot of other studies that shows this. Uh, I have done a study on the streets of Cambridge, Massachusetts, where somebody collabed, a student from Harvard collapsed on the street and some people immediately rushed over from the other side of the street. Some people did other things, but a small percentage of the people, not minuscule, after a single glance looked away, never looked back and walked off at the next corner. Now, we, our behavior is influenced by who we are as a result of growing up in a family and how we are socialized, as a result of what our experiences are with teachers, with peers, and in the rest of life. And people who develop a feeling of responsibility for others' welfare, that in a number of studies I found is the most important influence that leads people to help others. But it's not only who we are, it's also our circumstances. Our circumstances can focus responsibility on us or away from us. You know, one of the things in the training that we talk about is inhibitors of active bystandership. Mm -hmm. So even if you have the inclination, when we are in a situation when something happens and there are a number of other people around, we may feel that anybody else can help. Why me? So there is what we call diffusion of responsibility. Another thing in a situation like that is people tend to put on a poker face in public. So everybody looks unconcerned. Each person looks around and sees the other people unconcerned and thinks there is no reason for me to do anything. A single person saying something, you know, this is bad or What's happening here? Mm -hmm. Or something else that calls attention and indicates concern can activate other people. So how we behave in that situation, even if there are other people around, even if we ourselves don't take action, what we say can be very important in influencing whether people will take action or not. Right. So, uh, sorry, did you want no, to? No, I was, I was going to say you, you're, the first experiment you described sounded like a Milgram type experiment. And um, I really, it's fascinating in that I, my takeaway is that we're, we are all subject to a prompt, um, uh, whether somebody says something to influence us one way or the other. And I know, it, let me, I'd, I'd like to hear what you have to say about as police officers, we may internalize a lot of our own dialogue and not be so articulate. And so is the takeaway that we need to uh, articulate as we're 
processing a scene so that we we're, we make our other officer, the other bystander officers aware of what's happening? Yes, uh, we do make, need to make other officers be aware of what's happening. You know, there is another issue with police that I was going to talk about later, but why not earlier? Why not? And that is that in order for active bystandership to work with police, there has to be culture change. Mm. Because if, a, if we are in a traditional culture, traditional police culture, where I believe a essential rule is that you are supposed to support your fellow officer no matter what that officer does. So if that fellow officer is attacking someone, the general culture says it. You don't stop and ask yourself, is this legitimate, is this illegitimate? You join and support your fellow officer. Mm -hmm. So in order for active bystandership, the training that we do really work, it has to include culture change. And there are various ways that we try to do this. One of them is that, for example, now, in order for a police department to be accepted into the training, they have to fulfill 10 requirements. And the first one is two local agencies have to write in their behalf and say, this department is really serious about this. They want to develop active bystandership and we support that. Uh, so there is a process through which a police department gets involved and they get a sense of what this is all about. Another thing is that early on, we talked to officers about what is real support for your fellow officer? Real support is to stop that officer from doing unnecessary harm because that doesn't just help a civilian who is not harmed. It also makes it less likely that a police officer loses his or her job it makes it less likely that a police officer will get criminally prosecuted. Uh, it also makes the life of a police department better because there might be, there are certainly some officers when some people engage in unnecessary harm doing, other officers feel uncomfortable and don't like it. Mm -hmm. And so there is a division within the department. And if you train in active bystandership, then everybody will get in line. So there are many benefits. Also, our training, well, I, I, will, I will stop there. Um, do you want to ask another question or? Sure, no, I was wondering about your New Orleans experience. So your initial <laughs> idea for for the project came from the Rodney King incident, which, uh, you know, kind of funny, but when I bring it up uh, to my students, um, you know, we're in their early 20s, uh, they don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know about right. uh, Rodney King. So, 
for the sake of listeners who don't know, uh, Rodney King was a motorist, a black uh, man in uh, Los Angeles uh, County uh, on the freeway, high speed chase with the California Highway Patrol. They pull him over, get, he gets out of the car. They, he ignores commands, does this dance. And uh, next thing you know, the officers from LAPD uh, and CHP are uh, swarming him. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a book called uh, Official Negligence written by Lou Cannon. And he documents the causes of that final swarming, the baton strikes, the numerous baton strikes and shocks from an electric uh, weapon. And uh, he describes it as a failure of training, a failure of supervision. And I think there's something like 10 officers present. So you came about the active bystander training from that as the egg, and then you moved on to New Orleans. What, what were the changes when you got to New Orleans? Well, if I can go back to the Rodney King incident sure. for a moment. When he is being beaten by two or three officers lying on the ground, mm -hmm. he is passive. He doesn't do anything. And according to my reading, some materials not that long ago, 17 officers were standing around watching and not doing anything. Um, so I, I'm sorry, you, you asked me. So, so, so with that as the impetus for the project, how did it change when you went to New Orleans? Well, um, one thing that happened with New Orleans was, you know, New Orleans was traditionally a very problematic police department in that they probably had more unnecessary violence against citizens than any other department at some point. Mm -hmm. Well, by the time we got to them, there was a kind of transformation. There was a new police chief, Mike Harrison, who completely supported what we were doing. There was also a agreement between the Justice Department and the police department there, a consent decree, so-called, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they are going to enter into a training, into, a, a, you know, new trainings for the police. And a person in the Justice Department and the person from New Orleans, Mary Howell, talked about this and Mary Howell knew about my training because I was uh, an expert witness for her at some point. And they together worked it out to include this training in under the consent decree in the New Orleans department. So one of the differences was that there were a few consultants involved. The police chief supported it. You know, we met with a number of police officers and actually some police officers from other departments and presented to them the whole idea and they signed up for it. And then as we developed it, police officers from New Orleans were also involved. So it wasn't just outsiders coming in and imposing it on them. It was a collaborative enterprise. That's great to hear. Yes. And, uh, and one of the 
you know, it had seemingly very positive results. What do I mean? The number of complaints about police went down. Uh, there were good incidents of active bystandership. Mm. And there even were examples of police officers having done the training, stopping themselves from unnecessary harmful behavior. So there was a woman police officer who was arresting a woman and putting handcuffs on her, and this woman spit in her face. Mm. As you know, that's not something that police officers take lightly. Right. And usually they respond. Right. And this policewoman did not and told her superior afterwards, I epicked myself. I just went through the training and I epicked myself. The name of the training in New Orleans was Epic. Oh, epic. Ethical policing is courageous. And, and so, and there were other examples. And one of the points here is we train officers to start with a very mild intervention and escalate only if necessary and only as much as necessary. So there was one incident in which a police officer got all heated up at the time of a demonstration about Confederate statues. And he seemed to be about to charge demonstrators. And the fellow officer just put his arm around his shoulder and calmed him down. And so he did not do it. Now, the thing is, the issue of escalation is important. We know that in the George Floyd murder, there was one of the officers who was a rookie and for whom Chauvin was a training officer. And this officer tried to do something, asked Chauvin if this is really a good idea to be on the neck of George Floyd so long, mm -hmm. and Chauvin brushed it away. And given, you know, if that police officer had gone through our training, he most likely would have escalated. And he might have done something that we also are advocating, which is that you turn to other officers and you invite them in as allies. Mm. And then the whole dynamic of the situation changes. Uh, but this officer was a rookie. He was not trained. And so after his initial attempt, he stopped. And we know what happened. Right. Um, so um, this, 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 this thing about skills and starting mildly and escalating if necessary is extremely important elements of the, of the training. Well, you've given us a, a glimpse at the ABLE training with um, <laughs> recognizing the, the ill and taking your own initiative and gaining allies. I'd like to hear more about how the ABLE training exactly works when you go into a new agency. But first, I'd like to take a minute for our sponsor. 
PoliceOne.com is the number one resource for your up-to-the-minute law enforcement news, training, and incident analysis. Our mission is to provide you with the information you need to better protect your communities and your safety. Becoming a Police One member is quick, easy, and free. Once registered, you will receive access to secure law enforcement-only training and video tips, articles and sections, and a subscription to our award-winning law enforcement newsletters. Go to policeone.com forward slash registration to sign up today. That's policeone, the number one, dot com forward slash registration. And we're back and I'm speaking with Dr. Irvin Staub, expert on police training and professor at the University of Massachusetts. So, so doctor, you started to tell us a little bit about the ABLE program. You gave us a glimpse into... Um, understanding our own responsibility at the scene of an incident and taking initiative and failing that, gaining allies to get the message across. Um, tell us more, what are the essential elements of the training? What do you try to impress most upon police officers? Well, I mentioned a number of them already, and there are some, you know, important, important ones, of course. Uh, I mentioned potential inhibitors of action. Mm. Diffusion of responsibility, uh, pluralistic ignorance. There are others. One of the others is if you are dealing with a member of a group that is devalued in the community and that there is a devaluation of this group within your police unit, or you yourself see this group in a negative light. Uh, why would you get yourself involved mm. in trying to stop harmful behavior towards that person? So where would such devaluation come from? Well, it can come from the family, it can come from the culture, it can develop within the police department. Before the Rodney King incident, apparently police in LA, in Los Angeles, talked to each other on their radios, making a lot of racist comments. Mm. So, you know, there it is. It's a problem. So one of the things that you want to try to address is that. Oh, there may be another source of devaluation. And that is, you work in a community where there are many minorities. And some of those minorities engage in criminal behavior. And we have, unfortunately, a human tendency to generalize. So we generalize perhaps from those individuals to members of the whole group. And that is a problem. So mm -hmm. that is something that is really worth engaging with and trying to address. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Well, we do many things. There are other experiments that we include in addition to mine. Uh, you mentioned the Milgram experiment. Well, we talk about that also. We did mm. not in New Orleans, but now it is included. Mm. And uh, what does that show? It shows that people obey authority. Mm -hmm. 
Now, there is usually a blanket view that people obey authority, but there is a substantial percentage of people who don't administer those shocks. The way it goes is that there is an experimenter, there is supposedly a learner who makes mistakes. And whenever the learner makes mistakes, the teacher is supposed to administer an electric shock. And the teacher says to the learner, to the teacher, uh, the, the experimenter says to the teacher each time, please increase the level of shock. And many people do, depending on the exact circumstances, it's more people or less people. But the maximum number, I believe, is 69% mm. when you don't know, don't hear anything from the other person. You just know that that is that other person and that person is receiving electric shocks. Mm. Uh, so people get upset along the way, the teachers, they hesitate and so on, but many of them still continue with it. And so we are including this experiment because the issue in part is for people to be able to think for themselves, to make their own judgments, to make their own decisions. And, uh, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons that we include this experiment. We include a couple other experiments. One of them is the so-called Good Samaritan experiment. Um, it's an experiment in which seminary students are asked to go to another place on campus in order to give a talk. And some of them are told, you are already late, please hurry. Some of them are not. And as they go, they find a person lying on their path. And even though some of them are supposed to talk about the story of the Good Samaritan, who stops on his way to help someone, nonetheless, if they are told to hurry, a very substantial portion of them just hurries to go and give that talk. And so the point is that we can get so absorbed in the task that we have that we forget about other people. We are overwhelmed by the goal that we have in our minds. And again, trying to ease that a little bit for people. We also train people I'm sorry. We also train people to deal with feeling of stress. And one way we do that is we talk to them about the physiology of breathing and we teach them to breathe in a way that can relax them. Mm -hmm. uh, this training also includes active bystandership in relation to other officers. If you see another officer stressed, upset, distressed, rather than just going your way or being a real man and not attend to psychological distress, 
we try to help them to engage and support that officer. And that has many benefits. One of them is that you are less likely to take out your distress and upset on other people. Mm -hmm. You are less likely to engage in unnecessary harmful action, but it also benefits your family. It mm -hmm. benefits yourself. So that's another element of the training as we do it now. Nice. Well, do you find a difference in the responses to these exercises between the general public and, and law enforcement? In the Good Samaritan example, I mean, there's there's a difference between optional um, action or what we would call duty or obligation if you're a police officer, um, where where we feel you know compelled to to take action and. I see in, in the public, it seems, um, you know, there can be something really horrific going on, but it seems like a, a tendency to, that we see often is that people immediately pull out their cell phones and start videotaping yeah. as opposed to intervening. Do you see the difference in the two? Of course, there is a difference between pulling out your cell phone and intervening. Um, let me just say that we feel this strongly supports police, this training. Mm -hmm. uh, as I said earlier, you are not likely to lose your job. You are not likely to be criminal prosecuted. You also, police departments now require police officers to report when their fellow officer does something. Well, I would think that that is anathema to police to have to report a fellow officer. And if you do this, if you engage in active bystandership and stop harmful behavior, there is nothing to report. So it, that, it benefits police that way also. So the, the benefit to the police is very substantial. So it benefits a civilian who is not harmed. It benefits police community relations, which is very important sure. because if police engages in unnecessary harmful behavior repeatedly, the community responds to them. They withdraw their support. They stop giving testimony because they don't want to engage with the police. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing changes as a result. So going back to Milgram for a second, when we talk about um, how someone reacts to authority, to an authority figure telling you to do something, in your training, can we train away that tendency to defer to rank or a senior officer? Well, we work on it. The first thing that we do is we train the top level officers in the department. Mm -hmm. So they get the training first. And in New Orleans, our experience was that it took very well with them. The police chief, who by the way, because that training went so well, I think, was asked to be the commissioner in Baltimore, which he now is, uh, the police chief wore this little emblem that everybody got after the end of the training. And he said, I am wearing this to tell my officers that if I do something inappropriate, they can intervene on me. Mm. And some of the top level 
officers in that department. Uh, chief Noel, chief this and that, are very involved, were very involved in the training there. And actually they are helpful now to us in other ways because mm -hmm. they are so committed to this. So we believe you can. And another thing that we do, by the way, is we also train officers to rehearse accepting the training. Mm. You know, one element of the training is role-playing, which I think is very important. Role-playing is as if behavior. It comes as close as it can get. You know, in my experience, when somebody had great difficulty, emotional difficulty, engaged in certain kind of behavior, they also had difficulty in role-playing. But in role-playing, you can engage, you can repeat, and you can learn. And so we do role-playing as part of the training. And, uh, and I think that that's very important and, and very beneficial. Well, that's, that's great. I'd like to wrap <laughs> up, but first I'd like to ask, um, what do we need to do to reinforce on-scene officers to recognize when something's amiss, when they're maybe they're caught up and there is a crowd and there, you know, there are all these external factors. Um, yeah. What's what's the touchstone for that officer to recognize himself or the behavior of others? Two things that come to mind. One of them is what I was just talking about: role play. Mm -hmm. The more you role play, and the more you role play risky risky situations, and learn to make good judgments mm -hmm. as part of that, the better it is. The other one is collaboration. When there are more than one officers there, each officer has to look and make judgments about the situation. And if that situation seems dangerous, then you act one way. But if that situation does not seem dangerous, and again, a fellow officer gets heated up and may start doing something, then that's another thing. So pooling judgment is extremely valuable and extremely important. We are all fallible, aren't we? Sure. And we can all make mistakes. But if other people express their perception of the situation, and maybe also what is the appropriate response, then we are in a different ballpark. So I think that two, those two things are of crucial importance. Very good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time speaking with us about the Active Bystander for Law Enforcement, the ABLE Project, Dr. Irvin Staub. Uh, we will put your link on our show notes. So our listeners can go to your articles. Um, we'll put a link about the last article on training the ABLE project. Um, what's, what's, what's new in your future? What are you working on right now? Well, I don't know. There is a conference of ours coming up. And as usual, I'm giving the keynote address at the conference. And then the second day we have a panel and I'm doing that. And then, you know, on it goes. On it goes. Well, you have a couple of books out there, The Roots of Evil, 
the roots of goodness and resistance to evil and overcoming evil. Great, great books to take a look at. Thanks for what you're doing for our profession, Dr. Staub. Thank you for having me on and good luck with all this work. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to our show today. I hope you found it interesting. Let me know what you think. Uh, and you can get in touch with me and the Policing Matters team at policingmatters at policeone.com. That's Police One. Drop us a note, share your ideas, suggestions, feedback, or just to say hello. We love reading your messages and may feature your comments on a future episode. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. I'm Jim Dudley. <laughs>